Paul told me how to do this, and I'll get it right here in a second. It's good to see everybody out. You know, uh, the Bible talks about that we're to be a living sacrifice to God. And it talks about in the book of Genesis when Noah got off the ark that he built an he altar and sacrificed to God. And they said it was a sweet-smelling aroma. And uh, if you've been in a lot, you can kind of understand what a sweet-smelling aroma is. I just pray that our living sacrifice to God smells as good to him as that meat back there cooking smells to me. Uh, you know, when, we, uh, when Spencer's going to be out of town, he's got to get his speakers lined up. He called me and wanted to know when I might want to speak. And I said, well, I'm about to have knee surgery, so push me as far back as you can. So I think he had a reason for putting me on this day. I think he was thinking, you know, we're going to be kind of low on meat and maybe we won't have enough food. So we'll get the word out there that Randy's preaching, maybe keep the crowds down a little bit. We won't have to worry about so many people showing up, but they'll just skip the sermon. They'll be there for the food. It won't matter. Tonight, uh, if you're visiting with us, I want you to know that you're our welcome guest. We're glad you're with us. It's an honor to have you with us, and we want to make sure that you stay and eat with us no matter if you brought anything or not. It's an honor to have you here, and, and we want you to be with us. We want you to fellowship with us. We would love to have you be a part of this congregation, to come be with us and worship God with us. Just be with us every chance you get. I'm going to tell you just a few things before I start my lesson tonight that I really want you to think about and keep in your heart. Because these are the most important things that we can know as Christians. Number one, God had a plan to save us before the world began. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 that God had a plan set in place. You know, sometimes we don't think about that. But before the world was created, before he did anything, he knew he was going to send his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. His only begotten son. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 that his name was going to be Emmanuel. going to be God with us. He actually dwelt with us. The Bible goes on to say that he lived a sinless life. I can't imagine that. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says that he was tempted in all points just like me and you, yet without sin. You think about that. We, uh, I don't know about you, but I struggle with sin every day. And Jesus Christ came, and I think every morning when he woke up, he was thinking, today I've got to be perfect. Today I can't make a mistake. Today I've got to do what, what it takes to be that sacrifice so I can bring these people back to God. He died for our sins. The Bible says, for Christ suffered once for the sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. You know, when, when we sinned, when man, when man sinned in the garden, our sins separated us from God. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2 says that our sins separated us from God. We're lost. And the only thing that could bring us back to God was that perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he did that on the cross for our sins. That's found in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, who was perfect in his life, became sin for me and you so that we could be righteous. We could not be righteous without that sacrifice. We could not be righteous without him taking that sin. The Bible says he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 4. He rose from the dead. He defeated death that day, and uh, we all still die. We're all still going to suffer death on this world unless the Lord comes back before we die. But, you know, it's not like it was. The Bible says in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, He defeated death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
he gave us the gospel. And if we're obedient to the gospel, if we're willing to repent of our sins, confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and be baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins, we can be saved from those sins. We can be perfect. We can be what God would have us to be. Tonight, my story starts in the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. I love to uh, study it. I love to uh, read about it. It's kind of more of a story, and, and uh, I like that. Our, our uh, lesson's going to be taken from 1 Samuel chapters 4, 5, and 6. You know, uh, God's people, when they left Egypt, the great plagues that God put on Egypt, they left Egypt, they marched right out of there and went to Mount Sinai. And when they got to Mount Sinai, God gave them his word, and God gave them the law of Moses gave them the rules, and, and one of those rules was that they were to build a tabernacle, and God was going to dwell in that tabernacle. He was going to dwell in the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubim, the Bible says, and that he was going to be in that tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. And that's where Jesus, that's where God dwelt all those years. And the Bible tells us that even after the conquest of Canaan, 40 years they wandered in the wilderness, and then after the conquest of Canaan, they, were, they uh, took the the land and, and God gave it to them that they uh, failed to drive out some of those some of those inhabitants and one of those inhabitants they failed to drive out was the Philistines and God said because uh, you failed to drive them out they're going to be a thorn in your side that's not something that your grandma came up with that's something that's in the Bible that you would be that those people would be a thorn in Jesus Christ uh, that those people would be a thorn in God's people side as long as they were around and our story tonight kind of takes us to that point the children of Israel, almost 400 years later after the period of Judges started, the children of Israel are in a war with the Philistines. And the Bible tells us in chapter 4 that they were losing a battle and they lost over 4,000 foot soldiers. And the elders of the children of Israel got together and said, you know, we need to do something. We need to do something different. So uh, they said, why don't we go get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it up here into this battle? I don't know where they got that idea. They didn't talk to God about it. But, you know, maybe it was from remembering what God did for them when they marched around uh, the city of Jericho. How that the Ark of the Covenant was out, it was out there in that, in that march and how that uh, God gave them that battle. Maybe that's what they were thinking. Whatever they were thinking, it wasn't what God had in mind. And the Bible tells us that Eli was the judge at that time. Eli had two sons named Hopni and Phineas, evil men. They, they were so evil, the Bible says, that the men of Israel that came to make their offering to God abhorred giving money to God or abhorred the sacrifice of the Lord because these two guys were so terrible, so, uh, so wretched. Well, the children of Israel decided, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send uh, the Ark of the Covenant to this battle. So they got the Ark of the Covenant out and they brought it, brought it down to the, the battle site. And the Bible tells us that uh, when they brought it into the camp, that the children of Israel shouted so loud that the earth shook. I want you to think about that now. They're, all these soldiers are sitting around, probably down a little bit because they'd been defeated that day or, or the day before, lost 4,000 of their brothers. And, brothers. and uh, I wonder when that ark came into the camp if they thought, you know what, we're ready now. We're ready to go get these. And they, they got so excited, the Bible says that they shouted and the, shook, and the earth shook from their shouts. Uh, I've got a friend uh, that I met when I worked at City Water Light named Tommy Hodson. And he was in uh, a football game called the Earthquake Game. It was the game between Auburn. There you go, Michael Deese. A game between Auburn and LSU. And Auburn was ahead six to nothing. And it was the last play of the game. Fourth down, and they were on the 11-yard line. And 
They had to have a touchdown to win. And, and uh, history says that, that Tommy threw that touchdown pass to a gentleman in the end zone, scored, and they kicked their extra point and beat Auburn. And they call it the earthquake game because the people in the stadium got so excited when they scored that touchdown that they screamed and shouted and shook that it set off the seismic alarm in the a building next door. And they had a recording of that on the seismograph. So I just thought that was pretty interesting. Kind of the same thing that happened to the children of Israel. They were so excited when the ark came into, into the camp. They knew, they knew with God's ark in that camp that they probably were in good shape. But that wasn't what God had in mind. The, the children of Israel were defeated the next day. They went into battle and they were sorely defeated. Hop, nine, Phineas came with the ark to the, to the uh, battle site. Those men were killed. 40,000 other men, or 30,000 other men were killed, and the ark of God was captured. The Philistines had defeated it. Now, what do you do when you capture the ark of God? Think about that for a minute. You've got the ark of the living God. They, they worship false gods, but they had the ark of the living God. So what do you do with that ark? Where do you put it? Well, the Philistines placed it in the temple of Dagon, their god. They had a god named Dagon, and they placed that ark of the covenant God's ark right there in that temple with him. The next morning when they got up, Dagon was fell flat on his face, bowing down to the, the, uh, altar, to the ark of the covenant of God. So being good priests that they were, they stood old Dagon back up and kind of buffed him off and got him ready for the next day. They came in the next day and Dagon had fallen down again, down before the ark of God. His head was broken off and the palms of his hands were broken off. And the Bible says they were so afraid when they saw that, 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 that those priests wouldn't enter that area anymore. They wouldn't go back into that ark or go back into that temple. You know, God kind of cleansed that temple in his own way. He kind of cleansed it in his own way, and he kind of gave them a little information about what was going to happen. The ark was then taken to a place called Ashdod. And when they went to Ashdod with the ark, Terrible things started happening. People started dying. People had t tumors. Things were bad in, in Ashdod. And the people of Ashdod said, you know, we got to get this ark out of here. Take it somewhere else. So they took it over to a place called Gath. And when they got to Gath, all these are Philistine communities. When they got to Gath, the same thing happened. Terrible things started happening. And uh, they broke out with tumors. There were rats everywhere. And they said, we got to get this out of here. We got to get this ark of, ark of God out of here. It's, uh, it's going to destroy us. So they took it to Ekron. And when they got to Ekron, the people of Ekron said, hey, wait a minute. Do not bring that ark. Do not bring that ark into our house. Don't bring that over here. We don't want it. You know, it's strange that they were so, probably so excited when they captured that ark that they thought it was a great thing. They'd been there about seven months, and they said, we got to get rid of this thing. So they called the elders of the Philistines together and said, how in the world can we get rid of this ark? So they decided to send it back to Israel. So how do you get rid of an ark like that? I mean, how, do you just take it back to the people you uh, captured it from? What could they do? Well, this is what the, the priest and the, and the smart people of the Philistines said. They said, well, what we want you to do, the diviners and the priest, what we want you to do is, is build a brand new cart. Build a brand new cart and put that ark on that cart and put a chest there beside the ark. And in that chest, we want you to put five golden rats and five golden tumors. Can you imagine what a golden tumor looked like? I can't imagine myself, but uh, that was their sacrifice back to the living God. They said, do that to kind of atone for the wrongs that we've done to this God. 
And when you do that, we also want you to get two milk cows that have never been yoked. Has anybody ever, ever drove animals uh, with a yoke? And I know some of you, I know my dad, I know for sure he's, he's, uh, he's driven mules before. Well, they said, we're going to get two milk cows that have never been yoked before. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was trying to put something together to get rid of something, I probably wouldn't take a milk cow that had never been yoked before. But they did that. They said, take those two milk cows and tie them to this cart, never been yoked before, and uh, take their babies, their baby calves, and take them back home. And if that cart goes back to Israel, then you'll know for sure that this plague was from God. But if it doesn't go back to Israel, if they kind of wander around then you'll know that uh, it was just by chance that we had this plague. Well, can you imagine what happened? They probably thought, well, you know, if we, if we uh, put these cows on there, they're for sure going to wander all over the place. But they didn't. They marched straight back to the land of Israel. The Bible says that they didn't turn to the left and they didn't turn to the right. They marched straight back to the land of Israel. And it was a way that God basically showed them that this plague was for me. And, and he kind of showed them that he was the true and living God. And when I think about this story, I always think about Nebuchadnezzar. You remember when the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fiery furnace and they were unscathed and, and Nebuchadnezzar said, oh, it's a wonderful thing. He said, if anybody speaks evil of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God, then we're going we're gonna to do away with them. But you know, he didn't give up all the other gods, did he? He still hung on to those other gods and that's exactly what the Philistines were doing. They were hanging on to those other gods. But they got rid of that ark. And, not, and uh, they were hoping that that would be the end of the plague. They were hoping that that would do away with those plagues. And we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us anything further. But I would bet that it did happen that way. And some 80 years later, David, King David, a man after God's own heart. When you think about King David, I don't, it's kind of sad. But our mind immediately goes back to, I guess, two or three events. Either, either, either uh, David and Goliath. Or we go back to Bathsheba, the story of Bathsheba. Kind of sad because David was a man, I think, that just loved God with all his heart. And he made some mistakes in his life. But he really wanted to do some good things for God. That was during the time of the United Kingdom. And uh, David made this statement. He said, see, now I dwell in a cedar house, but the ark of God dwells inside tent, tent curtains. He, uh, he was kind of upset. He thought, you know what, I'm living in a nice cedar house. God's delivered me from all my enemies he said, and, and the ark of God is down there in a tent. Why can't I make him a house? And Nathan, Nathan, the prophet of God, he said, you know, that's a good idea. Go ahead and do that. But he left that night. And when Nathan uh, went to sleep, I guess the Lord talked to him and said, hey, Nathan, that's not going to happen. Solomon's going to build my house, like the scripture reading read, that we read a while ago says. Solomon will build my temple. The man that takes over after you will build my temple. Well, where in the world is God dwelling today then? If God doesn't dwell in the tabernacle and he doesn't dwell in the house, where does he dwell? The Bible says in Acts chapter 7, verse 48, God does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet said, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all things? Why are you trying to build me a house? He, he, that's what he told David. Why are you trying to build me a house? Well, where is he? Uh, the Bible says in Acts chapter 17, verse 24, when Paul was talking to those folks in, in Athens, he said, God who made the world and everything in it since he is the Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands. So where in the world is he? Well, the Bible tells us that in, in Corinthians. You know, Corinth was a place that was a pretty corrupt city, but 
when the gospel was preached there, those people responded and became Christians. The Bible says uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If you're a Christian today, you're the temple of God. If you're a Christian today, the, the, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, and my question for you tonight is, are, are, is, your, is your temple clean? Have you got that cleaned out? Have you got room for God in your temple? Or is your temple a whole lot like the temple of Dagon where it's just full of false gods and things that don't need to be in there? When you think about your life, I want you to think about, you know, have I cleaned out my temple for God and have I given him a place to stay? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16, and all the way through 7-1, it says, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. God expects us to be different from regular people. He expects us to stand out. He doesn't expect us to stand out from the way we dress necessarily. He expects us to dress modestly, I think. He doesn't expect us to stand out from the way we walk, but he does expect us to stand out in the way we, our actions, the way we live our lives, the way we do things, the way we treat other people, the way we respond when someone, when someone uh, maybe doesn't treat us the way we need to be treated. God expects us to be a holy temple. We're the temple of God. He's dwelling inside of us, and he wants, to, he wants us to, uh, to cleanse ourselves of those evils in our lives. Well, what kind of evils did the folks in, in Corinth have? Maybe that's a good place to start. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, Do you not know that the unrighteous will neither inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will enter the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. These folks at Corinth had these sins in their lives, didn't they? But when they became Christians, when they turned to God, they did away with that. They did away with those sins. They said, we're going to change. Now, do you think they had any trouble with those sins and maybe fell back into them? I think they probably did. Just like you and I. You know, the devil knows where you're tempted the most or where you can be tempted the easiest and and he's going to attack that spot. And that's probably what he did to these folks in Corinth. But all these sins that were in their lives, they put them away. Paul went on to say, but you were, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. When you become a Christian, those past sins are forgiven. Now, that God expects us to God expects us to do away with those sins in our life, doesn't he? And he knows that we're going to struggle with those sins just like these folks in Corinth, I think, did. He knows we're going to struggle with the same sins time after time. But he is, he's long-suffering, and he wants us to be saved. And the blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from our sins when we repent of those sins and when we strive to live our life for him. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39, Peter said to those people that these people had crucified Jesus Christ about 50 days earlier, a lot of them. A lot of them probably were there at the same time. And they, uh, they heard the gospel first preached that Jesus was the Christ, that he had died for their sins. And uh, they were just sick. They were so sick they didn't let Peter finish his sermon, did they? They said, what, sh- what can we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That gift of the Holy Spirit, keep that in mind. For this promise is to you, to those people he was talking to that day, and to your children, to the, pe- the children of those people he was talking to, and to all those who our Lord our God will call. 
and that's me and you. Whoever he calls today by the gospel, that promises to you that Jesus Christ is going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And uh, we don't necessarily understand all how that works. Don't have to. We know he's in there and we know what he's doing for us. He intercedes for us when we pray. He cares for us and he loves us and he guides us in a way that we may not be aware of. If you're not a Christian, you may, you may have many things that need to be cleansed from your temple. You know, uh, if you're not a Christian tonight, there's a good chance that you're not in, this, in the shape that, that we're talking about here. You're not, you don't have a temple ready for God. Until, you, until you're willing to do what Peter said to do here, to repent of your sins, to be baptized into Christ for the mission of sins, and be willing to confess him before men, confess him as the Son of God, then your temple's not clean. And you need to cleanse that temple. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Think about that. Each and every one of us and all those people that you know. You know, sometimes I think we're afraid to, to teach someone about Jesus Christ because we think they're not going to respond to the gospel. They're not going to be a good candidate. And I don't, know how we, uh, I don't know how we come up with that. But I think it's kind of human nature to do that. But, you know, probably if you looked at Saul from the outside, you wouldn't think he was a very good candidate, would you? When you were trying to convert someone to Jesus Christ, you wouldn't go Preaching to Saul, I don't think. But, you know, on the road to Damascus, he realized who Jesus Christ was, and it changed his life forever. If you're not a Christian tonight, you need to think about that. You need to think about what you need to do to be right with God. If, you're, if you hadn't uh, obeyed the gospel, then you're lost. Without Christ in your life, you're not going to make it to heaven. Unless, unless you're willing to, to give yourself over to Jesus Christ and be what he would have you to be, you're not going to make it to heaven. There's not a, he says in uh, John chapter 14, verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh to the Father except by me. He's the only way. We have to be willing to put him on in baptism. We have to be willing to be added to that fold, to be baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. And the blood of Jesus Christ will wash our sins away. And maybe you're a Christian and you've allowed other things to creep into your life. You know, uh, like I said before, the devil knows where we're Hard-pressed, doesn't he? He knows where we need to be tempted. He knows the best way to tempt us and to get a hold of us, and he's going to keep attacking those very same spots. Maybe you've allowed him to, maybe none of the things in Corinth that affected them affects you, but there may be something else in your life. Maybe it's uh, like the parable of the sower talks about in Matthew chapter 13 where it says that the cares and the riches of the world. You know, the cares of the world take a big toll on our life, don't they? If we're not careful, they can become such a, major part of our life that we can forget that we're really here for a short period of time and we're just pilgrims right we're passing through we're not staying we just came for the short ride and then we're going home to be with God we need to keep that in mind but sometimes the cares of this world and the riches of this world will, will suck that right away from us and we forget if you're not a Christian tonight we would beg you to think about coming to Jesus Christ and being baptized in Christ and washing your sins away we've got water in the baptistry and we're ready to do that tonight if you are a Christian and you kind of fell away from God and maybe you've got your, old, your temple just crowded with terrible things and you need to get them out of your, you need to get them out of your life, then if you need the prayers of the church, we'd invite you to come forward. Please think about your life and think about where you want to spend your life and who you want to spend it for. And we invite you to come while we stand and sing with any needs you might have. Break 